Welcome to the Life 21 Church Podcast. Thanks for joining with us today as we explore the Gospel of Matthew. We pray that as you listen, you would come to more fully understand the answer to this age-old question, who is this Jesus? Today's reading is absolutely stunning. A true spiritual feast. Matthew 17 verses 1 through 13 are all about Jesus being glorified or transfigured on the mountain. Let's read together and as we do, we ask Holy Spirit that you would take us into the riches of what was experienced on that mountain 2,000 years ago in Jesus' name. Verse 1 begins with this. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. This was just six days after Jesus had declared that some of his disciples who were standing there would not experience death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Six days later, Jesus takes these three men up with him, and they're about to experience the Son of Man glorified as a prototype and an expression and a foretaste of the fullness of his kingdom that he will bring. Verse 2, there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. At this point in the story, I want to really help us to see the beauty of this moment. Jesus chooses his lead apostle and his three leaders, the three that he most prioritized pouring into. He led them up onto a high mountain by themselves. I love this picture of Jesus who often would go up to the mountainside to meet with his father, was also the same Jesus that invited the crowds up there with him. But now in this moment, it's not a time for the crowds. It was by themselves that Jesus wanted. He wanted to make a space for encounter. I want to encourage us that all the time that Jesus is taking us somewhere and leading us somewhere, whether it's with a crowd, by ourselves, individually, or with two others, he's always wanting to position you to experience his glory to the greatest degree. It's always the case. Whether he leads you into a new job, whether he leads you into a new relationship, whether he leads you to go and apologize to someone, whatever leadership you're experiencing from the shepherd is always unto this, him being revealed to you in glory and you being satisfied and transformed by what you see. So he led them up. He was transfigured before them. One of the descriptions here in verse 2 is that his face shone like the sun. What a beautiful thing that God in the flesh, the very pre-incarnate word that was spoken from the Father to create the sun, moon, and stars, all of the stars, is the same one that stands before them, the word made flesh. 
as his face begins to shine like the sun, there's an even greater layer, I'm sure, of revelation of, oh my goodness, this is the one that made the sun to shine to bring life to the earth. His clothes became as white as that very light itself. And he began to manifest the physical reality that was the first part of creation. I want to highlight something. It said in Genesis 1, in the beginning, the earth was formless and void. And God spoke and he said, let there be light. And he manifested a tangible physical light that would be a physical source of energy and heat and light so that all other electrons, protons, neutrons, all of that would be affected and stimulated and moved so that everything in all of creation would be made alive and have movement and expression through that light. That does not replace God as the source of all heat and energy and life, but rather, as it says in Romans 1, all of creation reveals his invisible qualities. So God creates light so that we can and so that he can both express his invisible qualities and that we can enjoy both him as our invisible God, but also through the visible expression of what is made. I love that you and I have been given physical eyes and spiritual eyes. And satisfaction, holiness, and blessing comes when we're utilizing both to enjoy our God. Verse 3 is so unique. It says that there appeared before them Moses and Elijah. This is so key. We see in other gospel renditions of the same story that they were talking with Jesus about his departure. At this point in the gospel story, Jesus is coming near to the end of his ministry. His departure is coming pretty close. He still has certain things to teach and he's got a a crucifixion to undergo, but they appear. Now, these two men were in Abraham's bosom. They were in Sheol, the place of the dead, awaiting God's salvation, but not in paradise. We see Jesus on the cross speaking to the sinner at his right hand or left hand saying, today you will be with me in paradise. These men, just like the prophet Samuel in the Old Testament, were invited by God to come up from the place of the dead to interact real time with Jesus. Now, I just wonder what they were talking about. I want us to step into this for a moment. I don't know if this is the case, but picture Moses as they're talking about Jesus' departure. Picture him saying, Jesus, you can do it. We're with you. Don't strike the rock. I struck the rock. My father, God, operated in a way different than before. The first time he told me to strike the rock, the second time he told me to speak to it, in my anger and frustration with the people, I stepped outside of God's will. Don't do it. You're going to be tried. The people will turn. They'll be obstinate and stubborn. The father will be asking you to do things different than you've done in the past. Listen and heed and follow through to perfection because I died on a mountain not leading them into the promised land. But you, Jesus, you'll lead them into the promised land of paradise by not sinning once even till the end. 
just picture Moses and Elijah are prophets. They were prophets. They are prophets. And forevermore, they're exalted as faithful ones of God. But these two men both failed in their time of departure. At the end, the culmination of their ministry, they experienced great failings. And I'm sure Elijah joined in to the prophetic encouragement of Jesus, don't give up. Just like I anointed Elisha and he did double what I could do. When Peter fails you, when the one that's supposed to carry that mantle in a focused way is failing you, denying you, know that in the end, he will do even greater works than what you did. Carry on, carry on. So we don't know exactly what was spoken, but we do know they were talking about Jesus' departure. And of course, the apostles with them, I'm sure, were so moved. And we see that a little bit in verse 4. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, I love the response that God has. Listen to this, verse 5. While Peter, or he, was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Have you ever been interrupted by God? Peter is mid-speech, and God not only interrupts him with his words, but also the manifestation of a cloud that surrounds them. What a beautiful thing, like a father that comes down, scoops up a kid who's talking at the dinner table when he shouldn't, and the the parent isn't rude, but just says, hey, stop, we're talking about something else, just listen in. Peter, like many of us, is and can be very self-focused. I've learned in my own life that many times in the place of encountering God, two things I'll often do. One, I'll focus on myself and be self-aware in a way that actually is detrimental. We experience this whether it's in sports, in relationships, in business, even in a romantic context. When we are experiencing something beautiful but our mind is very self-focused and we're focused on what we're experiencing, how we look, how we feel, it can really short-circuit our ability to engage. And we see Peter Going from this place, I'm sure, of watching this to begin saying, oh my goodness, I'm glad I'm here. And he focuses on, I want to do something for you. Now, a few things. It is good in moments with the Lord when he's revealing himself for us to be aware that we're being changed. It's a delight. And it's even good for us to offer our support. Jesus, how can I serve you? How can I bless you? But both self-awareness And a heart for service are two predominant things that get in the way of drinking in the full portion of God's love, God's purposes, and God's pleasure in the place of encountering him. God sees through it all. He's not harsh with Peter, but he says, no, he's wanting to talk about his son. He's wanting them to focus on what's being revealed. He's not wanting them to think about serving the son. This is the son that made the sun, moon, and the stars. So he just says, listen to him. Verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified, I'm sure the physical manifestation, but also the Father's interruption and redirection 
hit on places of fear, not appropriate or godly fear of the Lord, but a lack of knowledge of God, a true knowledge of God that would cause them to feel peace and not afraid. Jesus confirms this and says, he comes and he touches them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. I love this. Jesus is always wanting to bring us in to the holy fear of the Lord, which is pure, reviving the soul, like it says in the Psalms. But Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit know fears that are not based on the knowledge of God, but actually based on ignorance. That's the difference between the fear of the Lord, which is pure and endures forever, and the difference between that and the fear of judgment, where 1 John says, Perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with judgment. Jesus the Father and the Holy Spirit thankfully know what type of fear we're working with and what's based on true knowledge and what's based on ignorance of his character and his ways. So he comes. He doesn't just say, don't be afraid. He imparts peace through the touching. Get up. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. A beautiful thing, this story, as we see in 2 Peter chapter 1, will be retold by the apostles many times. Peter says, We heard the voice on the majestic mountain, and he testifies to the power of this moment. But Jesus wanted, like he often does, to wait for the most perfect time to share the story of who he is. This is an important lesson for us because as we encounter God, there is a perfect timing of when to share it, who to share it with. We don't want to be haphazard and just assume that anything that God shares with us is to pass along. Jesus had a specific moment that it was appropriate for this story to come, and it was after the resurrection after he was raised. Verse 10, the disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? The disciples are aware of the passage in Malachi that the teachers of the law are drawing from. Malachi 4 talks about an Elijah figure coming before the Messiah. As Jesus is glorified before them and talking about his sufferings, they're realizing, oh my goodness, this is the moment. This is where the kingdom of heaven's coming. The Messiah is here. It is finished. Here we go. And then their mind thinks, well, wait, we skipped past the Elijah part. Isn't there an Elijah prophet? We didn't see him. Jesus loves to answer your questions. He loves it. And he loves to bring clarity when you're expecting God to move in one way but he moves in a different way than what you expected. He wants to give you clarity even today. Jesus did it for them as he'll do it for you today. And Jesus replies in verse 11, To be sure Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. 
God loves to do things in a way that's outside of our expectations. It's an incredible grace and mercy, and it actually helps us to learn how to not make our expectations God, but rather to actually make him our hope and our God. So today, maybe like the disciples, God's operating outside of what you'd expect. I want to encourage you, go up to the mountain with him. Allow the Father to release glory upon the Son, to manifest his nature to you. May you delight in that, be changed, and may you be one that enjoys and responds to how he's moving, even when it's outside of your paradigm. Thanks for joining with us today. May God continue to reveal to you by his Spirit who indeed is this Jesus. Thank you.